Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today, our podcast is brought to you by ForeFlight. And ForeFlight has been, uh, or Jeppesen Boeing ForeFlight, has been uh, a great uh, friend of ours for years now. And they offer just an industry-leading discount to NAFI members. It's 33% off. And it's basically any plan, any product. Um, if you want it, you can get a discount on it. So... It's it's really great, and it's also really nice because, frankly, I mean, I know most of you out there probably use ForeFlight anyways, and the discount itself, more or less, depending on the level, pays for your NAFI membership. So why get one when you could have both? So think about it next time you are signing up for or renewing for ForeFlight, and if you're not a NAFI member, we'd love to have you. If you are a NAFI member, make sure you're using the discount because uh, it'll save you a ton of money. So anyways, uh, today's presentation is actually done by sort of a friend of the family. He's a CFII, an airshow pilot, stunt pilot, Guinness World Record holder. Um, you probably know him from his instructional series with uh, ForeFlight, as well as probably his YouTube channel, Spencer Suderman. Now, you also might remember a couple months ago, we did a interview with him and Beth Stanton for their uh, Writers Behind the Stories series, and that was talking about kind of a little bit about his background, but also about uh, the uh, article that he had written for the magazine, which was cool. So um, Spencer's done a couple things with us, and we certainly appreciate all of uh, what he does for NAFI and its members and uh, the flight instruction community as a whole. So this uh, presentation was actually done at the NAFI Professional Development Center this year's Air Venture, and um, it's called Undertaught Topics. And uh, sort of the brief synopsis is that uh, Spencer will discuss some, obviously, undertaught topics, uh, things including slipping, stalls, spin phases, and uh, even the most controversial topic, the impossible turn. So um, it's a really great presentation, something I think you'll enjoy. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention if you could make sure you subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the different things that uh, that NAFI does, the Facebook page and Instagram and all the rest of our social media accounts. But uh, we really appreciate you listening to the podcast. And if you could leave us uh, a little bit of a review and maybe subscribe, we'd appreciate it. So once again, without further ado, Spencer Suderman, Undertaught Topics. I became a CFI in 2002 and I did it because in 1999 and 2000, I was taking an emergency maneuver training and spin training course in, at Santa Paula Airport with Rich Stoll. I never had any intention of becoming an aerobatic pilot and I never had any intention of becoming an airshow pilot or, or a world record breaker. But after taking that training, I realized that 
every pilot who doesn't take that training is missing out on something very important in their, in their tool bag of flight skills. So I became a CFI only to teach that training. And I'm proud to say in, in over 20 years of being a CFI, I have never made a new pilot, but I've made a lot of, and if you know me, you'll know why, but because I don't have a lot of patience for it, but I have made a lot of pilots much safer pilots and introduced a lot of people to the drug of aerobatics, which if you've never, if you've never been upside down in an airplane, even in a brief aileron roll, it's better than heroin. I haven't tried it, but people tell me it's better than heroin. So anyway, that's who I am. So that's why I'm qualified to come here and talk to you today. So why this topic? I'm going to talk about five undertaught topics. Uh, I wrote an article about this that was in the November-December issue of Mentor Magazine, about five, and notice they're not listed there. So I want it to be a surprise if you haven't read that as we roll through these. I promise they'll be a lot of fun, very controversial, and I can't believe the hate mail I get when I talk about things like slips. Amazing. Or maybe that's just me and my personality. But in the training I've done where I teach mostly unusual attitude training, spin training, and get into some basic aerobatics, I've noticed that even most of my students are mid to high time pilots. And I've noticed they come with several shortfalls in their training. Use of rudder, amazing, right? That high time pilots can't use the rudder effectively. One of the techniques I like to use when I train people in a decathlon is on our first flight out where we're just gonna work on airmanship and stalls. I cover up the airspeed indicator and the ball, which freaks people out doesn't freak me out. I'm in the back seat. I'm not going to see anything bad happen. Their head's in the way. But it freaks pilots out. Well, how are we going to know when to take off if we can't see the airspeed indicator? Maybe we can feel it in the airplane. Maybe you'll just know. How do we know how high to pull the nose up in what, into the proper climb attitude if we can't see the airspeed indicator? Well, we're going to learn how to learn that. And, and I'll tell you the secret. It's super easy. If you've flown an airplane long enough, and your climb out speed is, let's say, 80 miles an hour like it is in a decathlon, how, long, how many years, how many hours have you spent looking over the nose and looking at how high the nose is above the horizon? Probably a lot. You're telling me you can't, if you've got some time in that airplane, you can't simply pull the nose up to that height above the horizon without looking at an airspeed indicator, right? That's the skill you should be able to develop, and that's why we cover up the airspeed indicator. Now, what about the ball? People, why are we covering the ball? We're going to cause a spin. Well, I hope we cause a lot of spins because that's what you're here to learn. But I promise you're not going to cause a spin because you can't see the ball. So we're climbing out and we're doing right rudder. And there we say, well, how do I know how much right rudder to use when I'm climbing out if I can't see the ball? Well, guess what? I'm going to show you. So we take off and climb out. And at about 1,000 feet, I tell them, take your feet off the rudder pedals. Oh, <gasps> what? We're climbing. Right, take your feet off the rudder pedals, and of course we all know the plane is simply going to yaw to the left. And I say, where are you looking? Well, I go, well, over the nose. Why don't you look down the side of the airplane? I go, really? Yeah, how often do you look out the side window? They go, huh. How often do student pilots or pilots look out the side windows? They probably never turn their head. I've noticed that a lot. Never turn their head and look out the sides. Then I'll say, how often do you look at the wingtip while you're climbing to notice the angle of the wingtip to the horizon. They go, is that something I should be looking at? Well, yeah, it is. You should know what that looks like. What's, what does that look like when you're climbing? What does that look like when you're in level flight? What does that look like when you're in a descent flight? So anyway, 
were climbing up and take their feet off the rudder pedals, and they noticed there's a lot of real estate disappearing under the left side of the airplane because it's yawing to the left. And I just say, now add in enough right rudder to make that stop. And they do it. I go, now lift the little rubber cover on the ball. Where is they go? Oh, my God, it's in the middle. There you go. It's that simple. Now, what do you feel in the airplane, right? What, is your, what does your butt feel, right? How do you feel the pressure in your butt? How do you translate that into how much rudder pedal you need? And then after that, it's over. The not seeing the ball is a non-event at that point. So I've noticed this is a big shortfall. I've had multi-thousand-hour pilots who fly you know, fairly high-performance airplanes who have not figured out how to use a rudder without looking at the ball. Um, that's a bit, now, for, for those of us who fly aerobatics or gliders, this is like second nature. So those are the kind of skills I think we need to improve on and where this presentation comes from. All right, so a couple things in flying, right? We have, we have a lot of irrational fear in flying. Well, I'm afraid of, well, a lot of people are afraid of spiders and snakes. You know, snakes on a plane, everybody knows why that's a problem. I wanted to throw some actual lines in from the movie, but apparently using all the words that um, a certain actor in that movie likes to use a lot was not appropriate for any audience, so I didn't. I said, I asked Beth, my handler from NAFI, can I use those things that Samuel John? She says, no, do not. Do not. Okay. But people are afraid of flying. Okay, they become pilots. They become unafraid of flying. Great. But a lot of pilots are afraid of unusual attitudes. Now, I don't know what your definition of an unusual attitude is, but I don't have one because I like fly aerobatics. So to me, all attitudes are usual. In fact, to me, it's unusual to not be upside down or at an extreme angle of bank or fly along at knife edge or go straight up. Or, or how many times, how many people here have ever seen a window in front of them with nothing but the ground. Yeah, it happens, right? It happens by accident, happens on purpose. A lot of fun when it happens on purpose. It's amazing when people see it for the first time because they become fixated on it and fly towards it for like the long, like, what are you doing up there? Are you just enamored by the view of the ground and can't look in front of you? They go, yeah, kinda. So you have to be aware of that. That's ground rush, we call that. But anyway, people have irrational fears of crosswind landings. Maybe it's not irrational. But there are, there are ways to teach it and do it. I'm going to show a lot of my presentation today when I finally shut up because you're tired of hearing me talk. I've got a lot of videos to show you with some of these techniques, which will be a lot of fun. And then we'll talk about them. Um, we have a lot of myths in aviation, don't we? Like the Bermuda Triangle eats airplanes and they're transported to some weird place. Myth. But one of the big myths I hear a lot is spins, spins can just happen. So let me ask the room. How many of you have ever been flying along in your airplane and the plane suddenly decided all by itself to stall and spin. Not even one person's going to put their hand up for that one. Like, it doesn't happen. Now, what are you doing when the airplane stalls, typically? Anybody? Anybody ever do anything to make an airplane stall? Right, you're pulling back. That's how airplanes stall. I asked Beth. We did a blog. I said, Beth, what are you doing when airplanes stall? You know what she said? Yeah, pulling back. So that's what makes airplanes stall. And what, who pulls back the stick or the yoke? What's the pilot? So we know that on purpose when we teach stalls and spins. But what about, what about in, in landing acts or traffic pattern accidents, like the infamous stall spin accident, which I think isn't so much of a spin. It's more of a spiral. That's a, you know, another long discussion we can have. Pilots are inadvertently adding back pressure when they shouldn't. Right? So it's the pilot causing it to happen. So people have this 
irrational fear of stalling and spinning when it's something completely in their control. And what about fallacies? It's kind of one of my favorite. Um, I love the flat earthers. They're my favorite, favorite group of people. I found a quote online from Shaquille O'Neal. He gave in an online interview where he actually said, and I wrote the quote right in there. I, try, I, li I live in Florida. I go to California. When I drive, which I enjoy doing, because he's a big guy. He probably doesn't fit in air, small airplanes well. It doesn't feel like I'm going up and down over the curvature of the earth. Shaquille O'Neal said that. So when people like Shaquille O'Neal say those things, people go, that's it. The earth must really be flat. I believe it now. So a lot of that in aviation. And one of my missions in life has always been trying to dispel that. And notice I wrote up there that cross-controlled slipping or stalling while slipping, where you've got rudder in while you're stalling, does not cause spins. And I, I love the nasty grams. I, I hope I get some nasty grams from this audience today. But just because you stall with the rudder in doesn't automatically mean you spin. There are times when it will, but in a slip, it doesn't. So I have a video. I'm going to show that. All right, next. So first, first myth or first undertaught topic. Cross-controlled slipping stalls cause a spin due to rudder deflection. So ready for the video? Everyone have enough popcorn? And there's our first AV failure. Something else I like to show people is what happens when you stall in a slip, so a cross-controlled stall. So what if you're slipping because you're needing to get down on the runway and you accidentally pull back too hard and stall? Shouldn't be a big deal. You simply look at the horizon, unload the yoke, which lets the wing fly again, and unstall the airplane and keep going. So let's, let's do a little demo. We'll get down to a pattern speed. We'll pretend we're doing a forward slip towards the runway. So I put it myself. I'm going to go right wing down, pull left rudder. Now, power out. I'm in my slip. And I'm just going to gently bring it up to the stall. There's that goat again. Up, yokes back. Really nothing happens. A little bit of a stall buffet, not a big deal. Let's do it the other direction. I'm slipping. I've got full right rudder in. I, I start pulling back too hard. I get that goat yelling in my ear. There's the buffet. Really nothing happens. Very docile and gentle. So, again, something to go out and practice. Do it with your instructor if you're not comfortable doing this by yourself. But know what happens if you pull too hard when you're slipping the airplane. Slipping is a very important skill. Forward slips, turning slips, you should be totally comfortable. Okay, so let's talk about it for a minute. Has anybody had a different experience doing this in a Cessna 172 than I just showed you? Nobody. Well, that's good news. Now, there are some airplanes where, that have extremely large rudders, where if you put too much rudder in, you, you probably could just start to enter a spin. But in common trainer airplanes like the 172, you can see how docile stalling in a slip is. But let's, let's explore this a little bit more. If you are slipping, you're typically doing it to get down to the runway, and your nose is going to be below the horizon. So again, we're, you know, a lot of the, fly, the way I teach flying is, is visual. Right? It's all about sight picture and what you see looking outside of the airplane. Notice in, in that video how high the nose is above the horizon. Would you ever see that if you're slipping down to a runway? No. So in a normal slip, you would have to really, if, if you're here, 
you'd have to really haul back on the yoke or stick to get that nose high enough to even get it to stall. And what's the result? Just buffets a little bit. Unload and keep going. So let's talk about that unload there. I say unload a lot. Some pilots don't know what that means. When the wing, when you load up the wing, you give it a high angle of attack, usually because you're pulling back on the stick or yoke. Unload simply means release the pressure. So I get that question a lot. Well, because I, I say in my videos all the time, unload, and I forget not everybody, you know, it, that, that word comes from aerobatics quite a bit. We talk about loading and unloading a wing. So it just means release the back pressure, lower the angle of attack. Um, if people are doing slips correctly, they're really not at risk of stalling. But again, it's visual. If you can see the horizon above the nose of the airplane, it is virtually impossible to stall the airplane while you're slipping towards the runway. So it's really not a concern at all. Any questions? All right, let's move on. All right, this is one of my favorites. I, I like to do a lot of spins. So a spin entry is not a spin. Everyone's familiar with the phases of a spin, the entry, the incipient, the developed phase. Incipi entry and incipient are kind of weird because incipient simply means the beginning of something. Yet, because the people who, who have engineering degrees and don't do enough flying have to always add extra words and ideas around concepts to make them more complicated, in my mind, you're either entering a spin or you're spinning. If you're spinning, you should use the tried and true pair recovery method. I'm sure I don't have to explain that to everybody here, right? Power off, ailerons, neutral, opposite rudder, elevator, unload. But we have a lot of instructors who don't have a lot of time spinning. And I very often get as students instructors who got their spin endorsement, usually in something that spins really excitingly like a 172. And they go do some spins in a super decathlon. They realize they never actually spun an airplane. Because if you've ever tried to spin a 172, it's a hard airplane to actually get into a good spin. More often than not, it's a spiral. And I've been with instructors in 172s. I said, show me how you teach spins. And all they end up in is a spiral. So if you get in, you start a spin, say, from a power on stall, that's the most likely scenario where you're going to get into a spin with a student, right? And you're up there holding it. And all of a sudden, the nose starts coming off to the left due to all the left yaw propeller tendencies. If all you do, and I'm going to demonstrate this in a moment, if all you do is unload, the plane will just fly. You don't do anything else. You could even stay on the rudder if you want to. However, what a lot of instructors will do is think, oh no, we're entering a spin and they will try to execute a pair recovery, stomp on the right rudder and actually pull the power out and actually induce a right yawing spin. Now you're in a right yawing spin while they thought they were doing pair to recover something that wasn't a spin. Now, I know a lot of people don't do as many spins as I do, but just trust me when I tell you, if you're not in a developed spin, if you simply unload, plane will fly. It's just that simple. So let me, let's look at the video. I'm going to try that again. Didn't work. I'm going to demonstrate a recovery from an incipient phase of a spin. It's not yet developed. I don't even need to use full pair. I'm just simply going to unload the stick, and the spin will stop right away. So, get the airplane slowed down, put it in the climb attitude, get the stall to come to me, and right about I'm ready to stall, I'm going to bring the stick back, rudder in. Now, that's the incipient phase. If I simply unload, look at that. Spin's over. I didn't have to use the full pair recovery because it wasn't a developed spin. 
It was incipient, and simply by unloading, I made the wing fly again. He got right out. Any questions? Anyone done this? Okay, good. Right? Anyone had a different experience than I have, simply unloading when the spin just starts? Guess not. All right. I love a compliant audience. It's great. I've found, just my experience, I've found, I agree with you, you need power to enter a spin. And that's part of the issue, I think, with teaching spins in a 172, is you have to, you have to um, aggravate the spin to even get it to spin. So to me, a good training airplane doesn't require an aggravated spin to make it spin. I agree with you, it'll do it. But you have to kind of coax it into it. And it's not necessarily, in my opinion, and a lot of people think my opinions suck, it's not a great way to teach spins because I think you should start with the most basic and simple spin entry before you teach things like entering spins in an aggravated mode. I, I get that that's realistic, but um, it hard, it's, to me, it's hard to building block a lesson around teaching spins if you, have to, if you can never teach the most basic spin entry, which is simply stall the airplane and give it rudder. Base to final. So that is typically a skid, right? Where a slip is one wing down and using top rudder. Top rudder is the rudder closer to the sky. Aerobatic term. I love using the secret words only some of us know. But, right, you're using top rudder to slip. So you, you have an equilibrium of lift in this direction, yaw in that direction. When it stalls, there's nothing to make it go in either direction. However, the base to final turns an interesting thing. What happens is people start to turn, realize... This, this is what I've observed. Has anyone ever heard or told a student or a pilot you shouldn't do more than 30 degrees of bank in the pattern? Okay. Yeah. A lot of people say that. We can talk about whether you should or shouldn't and why later. However, a lot of pilots have that stuck in their head, that in the pattern, they should not do more than 30 degrees of bank. So the typical setup for the base to final stall spin or stall spiral entry is there's a crosswind usually coming from the same side you're turning. So if it's a left turn, there's a crosswind from your left. So, and the lower time pilots will start the turn, realize they're gonna overshoot, they hit the bank limit, right? The, I cannot bank more than 30 degrees. What am I gonna do? Well, oh, I'll just kick that nose over. So when you kick the nose over, and I actually have a lot of videos on my YouTube channel uh, showing this in a plane like a decathlon, how you can just easily encourage the airplane into into this kind of from a skid into a spin so they're looking over the nose they're turning they realize they're still getting blown away they kick in some rudder and start yawing the nose towards the runway visually that makes it look like the nose drops towards the ground what do they do nose is dropping i better pick up the nose so now what are you doing you're starting to feed in all the elements of a spin entry you've got you've got um you've got a loaded up wing You've got yaw in the direction of the turn, right? You're get, and you're already slow. Most pilots forget that the more you bank, the higher the load it takes to the higher the, the, 
right? It's, it's easier to stall. You're closer to the critical angle of attack. And depending on how far they push the situation, they may suddenly find themselves simply departing. Now, Cessnas and decathlons and even extras in pits don't snap into these maneuvers. What they do is when they start to stall, the nose just starts to fall more. It's kind of a gentle, gradual thing. And as that happens, they, the more it falls towards the ground, the more they want to pick it up with the yoke or stick. And what are they doing? They're simply driving it into the high, high angle of attack further, and the plane just degrades, not into a spin, typically into a spiral. Right, and you're getting into a spiral. And then, and then they panic because now the nose is getting, right, even closer to, to the ground, and they just pull harder. And they're just driving themselves into the maneuver. So what we really need to teach people how to do is unload. When, when, I, teach, when I teach unusual attitude training, what I tell people is, by the end of this program, at least what you're going to show me in the airplane is, you're going to be spring-loaded to unload. This, this startle and snatching back, and around the school I teach, we actually call it the startle-snatch response. We need to unlearn that from you. I don't even know where you learned it, because to me it's not natural, right? It's natural to always want to unload and make the airplane fly. And, and, and again, we all have different, you know, come from different places of experience and training. But if we taught people to be spring-loaded to unload, most accidents would be prevented before they even develop. So anyway, good, good conversation. Yeah. I, I, it's hard to hear. Well, the, the goal is to, you know, do that at altitude and make sure people understand they should not get there in the first place. That they should be, well before that happens, they should already be aware they've put themselves in a bad situation. And the problem is we just don't teach a lot of this in normal primary flight training. Some instructors do, but we don't see it a lot taught that way. We don't see it done at altitude to show students all the what-if scenarios. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Next one might be controversial. I'm a fan of teaching people to, in a crosswind to slip all the way to touchdown and land on the upwind main and maintain control. The crab and kick method, look, you can go sit at any airport where there's a lot of training activity. You can watch people in a crosswind come in all day long and crab like this and try to kick it straight, right? And, and when you're learning how to fly, you have not... You don't know your plane well enough. You don't know yourself well enough. It's so easy to overshoot the kick or underkick and land with a side load, bounce the airplane, and it's really just not a great technique to teach, in my opinion. I like to teach people in a slip, you can completely control the airplane. You can modulate all the flight. I'm going to show a video in a minute. Modulate the flight controls and control it very easily. You know, you need more aileron, more rudder, whatever you need, and control it very easily and have a very nice, as long as you make sure the nose is pointed straight down the runway with the right amount of rudder pressure, land it straight. It's so much easier. 
and it builds confidence in crosswind landing technique because the the crab and kick straight method i don't think builds confidence in people it's it's more scary because they kind of never know how it's going to turn out yes no difference in fact in a tailwheel airplane so i, I so mark was mark was <laughs> he, he knows where i'm going mark was talking about um you know wheel landings I, I'm a big fan of wheel landings. I do them. I used to do my pits all the time, even though people say you can't wheel land to pits. I'll argue that one all day long. But in a tailwheel airplane, if you do a wheel landing, I find in most tailwheel airplanes in a heavy crosswind, you have much more control. I'll land on one wheel, right? Tail up, wheel landing, upwind main, and let the other one come down. And then it's, you know, as I push, push, push forward to stick those mains on, very controlled. I've landed my pits in probably up to 40 knots across at airship. Where, like, you're in an airship, I got to go fly. I've flown with like 40 to 50 knots of on crowd wind and then had to land in that. And I'm, I'm still here talking to you, and I haven't broken any airplanes doing that. I've broken them doing other stuff, but not that. All right. So let's look at the, let's look at the video. All right, as we line up with final or runway 13, the wind is 140 at 15 gusting 18. So there's a good crosswind. And a good crosswind calls for a slipping approach with the slip held all the way to the runway and land on the upwind main wheel. I'm going to start off with a little bit of crab to stay lined up with the runway. Don't need to slip yet. Slow the airplane down, get in first notch of flaps. A little high on the approach. I'm going to put the slip in. Wind's coming from the right, so I'm going to put the right wing down, put in left rudder. I'm going to start off with full left rudder and as much wing down as uh, I feel I need to hold center line. Probably need a little less rudder, a little less wing down. I'm just modulating it to hold center line. I'm gonna take the slip out for now. It seems like my sink rate is adequate. I feel like I can make the runway safely. All right, a little bit of slip back in. Bit of left rudder, a little bit of right wing down into the upwind. Power all the way out. Second notch of flaps in. I'm not going to go full flaps. And then across when we take our time. So I got full left rudder and just as much right aileron as I need. And I'm going to hold it off the runway as long as I can, landing on the upwind main. I got the runway made. Take your time in the crosswind. Get that nose up on the upwind main. Other main. Nose down. We got it. That's how you do a crosswind slip to landing. Okay. Any questions? Comments? Criticism? I always get criticism. Yeah. When we slip to a landing, common procedure, in the POH and a lot of the Skyhawks says something to the effect of uh, slipping with uh, flaps not recommended. It's the full flaps. But okay, but we land in full flaps with the crosswind all the time and we're slipping. So what's the deal? Does it actually? I've done it a million times and it, I haven't had anything bad happen, but I, I kind of have to tell the students don't do it on your check ride because it says in POH and so forth. So what comments on that? Sure. Um, what the POH says, and it's mostly the Cessnas with the with flaps that can go to 40 degrees. And if and if someone wants to fact check me, you know I could be wrong. But 
It's typically the planes with the 40-degree flaps. It says avoid slipping with full flaps extended. It doesn't prohibit slipping. Does anyone know what happens when you slip with full flaps? Yes. So every time you slip with full flaps, you crash into the ground. Okay. Um, I'll just tell you what my experience is doing it. And again, if someone has a different experience, I, I've never crashed doing it, I promise you. Oh, I wouldn't. Okay. So what happens is, you're right, when the flaps are down and you slip, you blanket the tail. That starts to set up an oscillation in the airplane, right, as the tail moves in and out of that airflow. If you go do this at altitude, and I would encourage you to go take a Cessna 172 up, put the flaps down, and if you have access to one that can do 40 degrees of flaps, go try it. See what, go at altitude and try it. What happens is it, it, it oscillates like this. However, once you do that for a little bit, you realize that oscillation is very understandable, and then you realize why the, it doesn't say it's prohibited or, or it just says avoid. So because it's not prohibited, oh, please. I was just going to add to what you're saying. I think you're going there right there is it's not in the limitations section of the aircraft. If it were dangerous, it would be in the limitations section. And subsequently, later models of uh, 172s, they've removed that altogether. Right. So if you, if you know what happens when you do it and you realize the plane is simply going to oscillate, then you know what to expect when you do it. And, and I'm going to talk, and another one of my topics here is going to be all about knowing how the airplane performs and how you perform as a pilot. But it is not actually prohibited. It's they're making you aware of what can happen when you do it. Yes? In, in that uh, part in the Cessna POHs where it says avoid slips, there's an adjective in front of slips, and I forget exactly what it is, but I think it's something to the extent of avoid aggressive slips. Nothing wrong with slipping with full flaps for the cross yeah. just like you're saying. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know there was a difference between aggressive slips and non-aggressive slips. Yeah. Yeah. So slips are an interesting subject, right? Yes. So I'm interested in the video that you showed. It looked like you were slipping excessively. Uh, what is ex Hold on. Hold, what's an excessive slip? So here's what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, so good question. I, I, you know, and maybe it's just how you see it versus how I see it. When I slip in a 172, I always start with full rudder because 172s don't have a lot of rudder. I mean, I, I, I've, I've flown a lot of airplanes. I've, I've done a lot of pits flying. They have a big rudder for the size of the airplane. I've flown extras. Some have bigger rudder. Some have the tiny vestigial rudder, we like to call it. But, and, and I've flown decathlons, which have a fairly big rudder as well. You don't need all the rudder in those airplanes to do a very effective slip. In fact, you can slip an extra pitch at almost 90 degrees, and you can just slice down on the runway, level it out, and do a beautiful landing. At least I'm telling you all the ones I've done that way are beautiful. Um, but in a Cessna, they don't have a lot of rudder. I've found that to get an effective slip, I always start with full rudder, and start, I start putting in enough bank to compensate for the amount of yaw the rudder creates to first get the airplane going straight, and then I line up with the center on. Then I'll modulate the rudder to keep it on center. But keep in mind, the nose is off center. So you're really looking down the side of the cowling. And I'm just trying to keep the track of the airplane lined up with center line. 
that makes sense? All right, anybody else? Yes. Right. I, I agree. Um, and keep in mind, when, I, when I'm teaching, I'm teaching people who are already pilots, who most of them, and again, mid to high time pilots, who I usually say, when was the last time you slipped an airplane? They go, oh, well, I mean, you know, they can't even remember. So I end up kind of having to reteach it. And I just show them that. I, I, it's, it's hard to unlearn things from people who recently learned them. However, if people have learned things and forgotten them or not practiced them, it's much easier to fix that behavior. I, I don't think, I, I, I mean, I, I do it a lot, right? I know I'm proficient at it, but I don't think it's a hard skill. It's like anything else. You just have to show it to people, get them to do it, coach them through it to a level of proficiency. And, and a lot of it's repetition. And one of the reasons I think people are afraid, a lot of people are just afraid to slip an airplane because it's uncomfortable. They feel the yaw. Right, the nose down is a little uncomfortable. Without insulting any instructors, there's a lot of instructors who are just afraid, right? They're low time themselves, and they're just afraid of seeing nose down, seeing a window full of ground, and understanding how to control. They haven't developed enough experience yet to be comfortable doing these things and then pass that comfort level along to other people. And you know, I don't know how else to explain it, but I mean, you're 100% correct. It's some of these, it's hard to teach people how to land because they're afraid of the ground rushing up at them. And believe me, assessing their approach to the ground is not, you know, if you've, if you've ever done air shows and flown straight at the ground at 500 miles an hour and pulled eight Gs before you hit it at 200 feet, and that's ground rush. And they don't let people do that when you start as an air show pilot. It, you have to have so many air shows at every level to get down there. There's a reason they make you take a long time to fly that low. So let's move on because I promise it gets more controversial. All right. St. Augustine Tower, Cessna 600, Bravo. I think it's not advancing. Did number four come up? St. Augustine Tower, Cessna. Hang on, uh, AV Tech here is working on it. You're not going to reboot the whole computer, are you? Yeah, delete. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was just saying performance to full rudder and your nose is pointing 20 or 30 degrees right. from the runway, whereas a side step, you're using just enough rudder to maintain your nose in line with the center line. Maybe that was the distinction. Um, yeah, I probably should have said that at the beginning. 
I don't make a distinction between forward slips and side slips. I, I know what the book says. I know what we're supposed to. This is why they don't let me teach people how to fly. What? Uh, yes, we should be. No, we should be right there. Okay. So let me, let me, let me, and let me clear something up. So it's a good question. I know there's such a thing as forward slips and side slips, and there's a whole written definition about how they're different and all this stuff. But if you fly them, what are you doing different in either one? You still have bank one way, opposite rudder, using the elevator. I, I make, because I, we're going to talk about turning slips in this. So I call, I like to think of slips as turning or forward slips, which are typically used for, and I know, you know, I have this argument with the sporties guys. Some of them I make videos for sporties. You know, I forget who I'm talking to. They're like, you got to make the videos for the new Cessna pilots. Um, and, and I get it. To me, when you're slipping, you're slipping. I, I know how to make the airplane go that way or that way or that way, track this way, lose more altitude. It's just learning how to modulate all, because it's really the difference in slips, whether it's a side slip or forward slip, is how much of each flight control you're modulating in to get the airplane to do what you want. But the key is making the airplane do what you want, right? Showing the airplane who's the boss. So let's talk about the turning slip from down. So one of the maneuvers you have to teach, and, and they may get asked to show on a check ride, is the 180 power off landing as a, an emergency procedure. I've had a few emergency landings, including one where I had no prop on my airplane in my pits and you know landed. And I promise you, I did not get 100 in the pattern, 180 degrees of beam the numbers. I already had no power. And then you know do this really cool maneuver to the numbers. So it's a great maneuver when you have to teach it. I like to teach it that as soon as you roll into the bank to turn, it's a slip, create a slip right there. You can very easily control the airplane down to the runway. And even if the wind's coming from the other direction by the time you roll out on final, you flip the slip over to the other side while you're still several hundred feet up and do it. So anyway, let's take a look at this and then everyone can throw rocks at me after. St. Augustine Tower, Cessna 600 Bravo Charlie, downwind to beam for the option. Remember, not Bravo Charlie, runway 31, clear to land. Uh, we're going to do a runway change. We'll taxi you back. Clear to land, runway 31, 69 Bravo Charlie. Maybe I'll just make this the last one then. Remember, not Bravo Charlie, roger. Wind uh, 080 at 6. So the wind has moved around to 080, so it's really going to be off from the right side. Really good chance to work on the crosswind approach. Okay, so I'm going to turn. I've got full flaps in. I'm going to come in with top rudder. Wind 080 at 7. And just let the slip do its job. Turning towards the runway in a slip, in a turning slip. I've got top rudder. I've got the right wing down. And I'm just tracking center line. Given the, top 32 Alpha Kilo, proceed as request. Even with the crosswind, I'm tracking center line by using the slip. I'm going to hold the slip all the way to the runway. Land on the upwind main only. Take your time in a crosswind. Okay. Row the rocks. Um, this is how I like to show people how to do, uh, you know, in a cross. This is in a cross, not really a 180 power off turn, but the technique is the same. You can turn the airplane in a slip. And sometimes when you talk to pe people about turning in a slip, they look at me like I'm crazy. 
for you know any number of reasons, but for saying something like that. So anyone have a different experience or other experience? Wow, this is easy. Okay, next. Yes. Well, thank you. I agree. <laughs> All right. The last subject I'm going to talk about, probably the most controversial thing in aviation, People get their feelings hurt in internet forums all the time over this subject. Amazing. The impossible turn. So before I show the video, and actually the video, I'm not going to show any flying other than me talking about an airplane. So I did this for Sporties. This was part of a series. And they said, well, how are you going to present this? And in my mind, it, it really should never have been called the impossible turn. It's really the improbable turn because some people have actually done it. And they've done it for two reasons. One is luck. I don't think we have to explain what luck is. And the other is they've gone out and practiced it at altitude. They've learned about how the airplane performs with no engine, especially in turning flight. They understood how they perform as a pilot, and they were able to apply that in an engine out. Now, there's a ton of variables to this. How high are you when the engine quits? Right? What is going to be your minimum, maximum altitude to try it if the engine quits? And I'm going to remind you, I'm going to say it in the video, in the Cessna emergency checklist, number eight says, if you lose power after takeoff, land straight ahead. So let's just start with that. The checklist says don't do it. But everybody's kind of rationalized how they can do it. So let me, because I got a ton of hate mail from people like, how could Sporties put this on their YouTube page? And who's this Spencer guy and, you know, arrest him? So let's look at that first. And this is a great way to end the discussion because I think we can all discuss this. Really, my goal is to help pilots and student pilots learn how to win arguments in Internet forums over the impossible turn. My only goal. One of the most important emergencies you can plan for and train for is an engine failure right after takeoff. Well, let's see what the checklist says. The checklist has many items on it, but number eight is the one we're going to talk about right now. Number eight says land straight ahead. So if the checklist says land straight ahead, why do some pilots think they can turn back towards the runway and attempt to land on the runway they just took off from? Some pilots call this the impossible turn, but really it's the unlikely turn or the improbable turn. Because so many pilots have rationalized that they can actually turn back towards the airport and land on the runway they just took off from. I don't even know why we call it the impossible turn anymore. While it's unlikely you'll make it, especially if you're low to the ground and close to the airport, and many pilots have proven over and over again that you can't make it, it's a misconstrued emergency procedure. What are the factors at play here that prevent so many pilots from achieving the impossible turn? You have to consider the aerodynamics of the airplane. When you've lost power and you've established best glide and you start turning and banking the airplane, the more you bank, the more the airplane's going to sink. Without power, the airplane cannot hold altitude. And if you try to hold altitude, you're most definitely going to have a stall situation, which you don't want in an engine out when you're trying to head back for the airport. The other thing to consider is how proficient are you as a pilot? And this is probably the most important concern. How proficient are you as a pilot to maneuver the airplane in such a way that you can make the impossible turn 
or the improbable turn back to the airport. How often do you go out and practice this? How well do you know yourself? How well do you know the airplane and its performance capabilities? I'm not here to tell you how to do the impossible turn. I'm going to show you how to evaluate your airplane's performance and your performance and capability as a pilot to even think about attempting it. And by the way, in an emergency, that's the last time you want to try something that you have never practiced before. In emergencies, we execute the maneuvers we've already practiced and have demonstrated proficiency in. So if a checklist says you should land straight ahead, why would you decide at the last moment that you can turn back towards the airport, especially if you haven't practiced it and don't know the parameters of the airplane and if it's even possible? All right. Throw the rocks. So the number one, one second, the number one uh, piece of nasty feedback I got from several people in that video is, good job keeping your head on a swivel looking for traffic outside the airplane. All right. Oh, yeah. So you, you said the Cessna manual says if you lose an engine on takeoff, continue straight ahead and land straight ahead or whatever it says. At what point are you no longer on takeoff? It's a, no, rhetor it's a rhetorical yeah. question. I have no idea. But at some point, <laughs> but at some point you're not, right? right. Yeah. Right. But, so I agree with you. On okay. That. So actually, that's a great question. At what point are you no longer on – thanks for queuing me up. At what point are you no longer on takeoff? I don't know. I don't know if anyone can really answer that question. In my mind, you're taking off until you're you're leveled off, or you're so far from the airport and high enough that it's pretty clear you could probably safely turn around and glide. My point in teaching, and in the video that I did, I actually go and show people what happens when you pull the power and you do. I did bank angles of different, you know, varying bank angles to show sink rates. And at 45 degrees a bank with no power, if you don't try to hold altitude, you can get up into, you know, 11, 1,200 foot per minute sink rates. And everyone should go up and try it. So when someone says, well, impossible turn, I always, my, my first question is, when was the last time you went up and tried it in an airplane to understand how it performs? So let me ask, right, that's my first question. Second question, you take off from a runway, you lose your engine, are you going to make your first turn to the right or the left? And that's when they just get a blank stare, right? It's, it's dependent on the wind. Turn into the wind. If you turn downwind, if you turn away from the wind, you're going to get blown so far away from the airport, you're never getting back. And you're going to have to somehow get the, if you just do a 180 turn, you're going to, you know, you're probably going to land in the parking lot by the restaurant. So somehow you've got to do some form of 90 to 70 or, you know, pick your numbers. But you have to go out and try it, you know, at a, at a safe altitude and just understand how an airplane performs and what altitude would you try to, would you even try to turn back? So kind of to your point, right? How high do you have, what's the minimum or maximum where you might be able to do it? You know, if you have a really high performance airplane that climbs really fast, you might not be able to get back down to the airport and you might still be relatively close. So the last engine, the last emergency I had when my prop came off my airplane and I headed towards an airport that was two miles away, I didn't head for the airport, I headed a mile off the runway. I knew what kind of speed I had, I knew my airplane, there's a story in AOPA with my actual flight track about this. Just look up Spencer Suderman lands his propless pits. If you look at the flight path, I went a mile off the end of the runway. I spiraled down until I felt I could make it, rolled out of that, headed for the end of the runway, slipped it, and got it to land. Um, I was off. It's a 4,000-foot runway at Whiteman Airport in Los Angeles. I was off. I almost rolled off at the intersection in the middle in front of the tower. I had to get out and push. So anyway, okay, so let me ask a question. My favorite things to do to pilots. 
on climb out, I'll wait till we're at a safe altitude, not, you know, low. We're climbing out, right? We're at whatever speed we're you 80, 75, whatever. I like to um, quickly pull the power off the airplane. What should you do if the power suddenly, you're, you're in a climb out, what should be your immediate response when you lose power? Don't all answer at once. Right, push the nose down, right? We all know that we're sitting here, we can think about it. We all know what we expect the student or the pilot to do. How many times have you ever just pulled the power out and watched them sit there with the nose up, wondering what to do next? I've seen that a bunch. Mid to high, remember I typically fly with mid to high time pilots. I've just pulled the power out and I do it kind of aggressively because I'm kind of a jerk, but I just go and, and they usually, I, I, I literally saw one guy try to jump out of his. He was like, what just happened? You tell me what just happened. Like, is it, is it quieter in here now? That's your first clue anyway. But the first thing you got to get people to do is get the nose down to your point, VX, VY in an emergency. It's a little hard to get people to think that technically they should get the nose down and look for best glide speed, whatever's called for, you know, 55, 75, 80, whatever airplane you're in. So my whole thing on the subject is I can't teach you how to do the impossible turn. I wouldn't even try. And, and when I made the video for sport, remember, you got to remember who Sporties is, right? They're a fairly conservative organization in putting content out. And um, I'm not really a very conservative type of, um, you, you know, I'm a provocateur, if you will. Um, and we had a lot of conversation about how to present this topic before I shot the video. You can't tell people, and I don't even think you should teach people that it's a good idea to do it. I think you should, if you focus on doing what you said, teaching people how to understand their airplane, how it performs, how you're able to manage the airplane, that's all you can do. You know, and hope people make the right decision, hope's a very bad strategy, but we'll hope people make the right decisions when an emergency happens. Yeah. Right, the, the uh, possibility exists. Anyway, I think my time is up. Um, I'm not that hard to find online. If anybody wants to send me hate mail, that's fine. Thank you all very much for your time today. Thank you, Spencer. That was outstanding. Appreciate it.